Welcome back, baseball family. This week, we've got Wander Franco, your Atlanta Braves, and a fantastic interview right now. Nine Plus Us presents the Baseball Together podcast with your hosts, Blackjack Brad and Kansas City Little Big Briggy Blue Eyes. And now, Baseball Together. Welcome back, baseball family. We are super excited that you're here with us. I am Brig, and this is Brad. And Hi, Brig. This is the Baseball Together podcast. Yeah, it is. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're, you're in right. the right place. Even if you were uh, expecting something else, welcome, because this is the right place now. So yes. we have a lot to get into. We, as we said earlier, have an incredible interview. We thought it was really a great interview. Uh, we're hoping you feel the same way coming up at the end. But we're going to jump into some current events really fast. And we're kind of going to uh, we're going to cook through some of this and uh get it in so that we can make room for that for that interview at the end yeah to begin with we have to talk about wander franco as much as i don't want to we're gonna do it right and that's fair because this is not an easy thing to deal with or talk about at all and that is largely because nobody really knows what's going on here's what we do know the tampa bay rays have placed wander franco on the restricted list the official statement is that this was mutually agreed upon between Franco and the Tampa Bay Rays. Again, that's the official statement. Major League Baseball is investigating allegations of misconduct. This all started when a social media post began circulating, accusing Wander Franco of having an inappropriate relationship. Now, it's important to note that as of right now, nothing has been proven, nothing is certain, and despite this book, this incredible social media fallout, we really don't know much. Okay. We only have a he said, she said, hearsay situation. So let's keep it at that. On our show, we're going to keep it at that. We will bring you more information as the situation develops. A couple things to note about Wander Franco Tampa Bay signed him to a $182 million 11 year contract in November 2021. And a lot of tortillas past, for those of you keeping track. This what? It's a lot of tortillas for those of you keeping track. It's a lot of tortillas. And I believe it's the longest contract in Tampa Bay Rays history. Has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Franco, it's not hard to be though. Three years. Yeah. <laughs> Franco, though, has been accused by his manager of not being the best teammate at times. So there and have being been immature. Some, yes, there have been some clubhouse disturbances with him at the center. We're going to figure that out. So stay tuned. We will let you know uh, if you choose not to get caught in the social media storm that is happening. That'd be okay. We'll, we got your back with just the, the facts. Uh, moving on, Derek Jeter, who's always fun to talk about, will attend his first old-timers day. For those of you who are interested and want to know, even if you have an opportunity to attend, September 9th, it will be at Yankee Stadium, and I think it's in advance of them playing the Milwaukee Brewers. Old Timers Day this year will include some Q&A and some other festivities, but will not include an Old Timers game, as Why has not? been the tradition in the past. To answer your question, I have no idea. I don't. I wasn't able to find anything that justified. Why would you get rid of the highlight of Old Timers Day? It is the best part. Is the I mean, game. Who doesn't love 90-year-old dudes swinging wood bats? Right. <laughs> it's awesome. And perhaps it's a it's a matter of uh, not having enough participation, not having enough interest. I don't know. Um, it, you know, 
<clears throat> Maybe be. that's what it is. Guys are just like not interested in being around the team this year, potentially. Ooh. Maybe there won't be enough old timers to play an old timers game. Right. I think it's more of an attrition thing than it is an interest thing. But I don't know. That's pure speculation. Well, I was saying they weren't going to have enough guys because they don't have enough interest. Oh, no. I think they just Maybe. don't have enough guys. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, no. I, I wonder if they're not wanting to be around Brian Cashman and the Yankees right now. <laughs> well, and former Yankee players are really intense about the brand and the culture yeah, uh, big time. And everything. And so it's interesting you bring that up because some of the names on that list that are confirmed to be attending this year's Old Timers Day, uh, t- there's a lot of the 98 club in that group. So, and I think that includes Joe Torrey, if I'm not mistaken, as he's a confirmed uh, participant. So it's interesting that the guys with some very recent, more or less, I guess that's been a long time ago now some pretty recent <laughs> 25 years ago <laughs> some pretty recent within one generation of this moment um you know that are that are still in it to win it okay let's move on the Braves demolished the Mets and oh, uh so bad oh man so bad the, the doubleheader was as we predicted a bloodbath mostly you Brig. your parlay hit but yeah, way. it was I was uh I knew it was gonna happen. I knew they'd lose both, <laughs> but I I didn't think it I, I don't think anybody thought it'd be this bad. So no, 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 no. So it was a doubleheader and game one was a 23 to one or 20 21 to three. Sorry, game one was a 21 to three win over the Mets. And there's a lot of storylines in here that I think are really fun, but the one I like the most is that Alan Winnens. Pitched game one, seven shutout innings, nine strikeouts. This is his first win and only his second start in Major League Baseball. He was a 17th round pick in the 2018 draft. And in the offseason, he's a substitute teacher in Bakersfield, California. Congratulations, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Isn't that the coolest? (laughs) Oh, man. That made me uh, just tickled. I'm just tickled for him, and I'm tickled for the Braves. And how could you not be? Best team in baseball, hands down. They roll yep. into the second game that day and whoop the Mets again, this time 6-0. to zero. And uh, the big part of this series win, this, especially those two games, we have to talk about Matt Olson, who's making an incredible run at, at and making a lot of noise this season. He's got a 5.0 war in the season right now. He leads the leagues in the league in home runs with 43. He has a 273 batting average, 94 runs to his name, league leading 107 RBIs. He's only stolen one base. That is not his job description. He has a 382 OBP, 621 slugging. That also leads the league and a 1.003 OPS. Brad, are you as high on Matt Olson as you should be? I've been high on Matt Olson for a long time. <laughs> I, I saw actually just like a few minutes ago, I saw a stat that said that his uh, his slugging when with runners on base is like seven ten. I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so Brig, I saw Matt Olson play right field for the A's as a rookie. I saw him yeah. play live. Actually, where we were sitting at T-Mobile Park, his aunt and uncle were sitting in front of us. 
Oh, and I nice. was like, oh, that's neat. You know, like this this yeah. guy's aunt and uncle here, whatever. Is like that's pretty cool. And he didn't do much that night, but it was en- because I had that like tiny little connection to him. He's a guy I followed like the next couple of years, and I was like, yeah. oh, he's legit. He just had a bad day. Oh, this guy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> young guy having a bad day during a September call up. He's a legitimate player, and uh, correct. And the the Braves got him. Oh man, on a bargain. I don't in the I trade still, and the extension both. Yeah, I still cannot understand the Matt Olson upgrade. It does mm-hmm. because we were so distraught. Like everybody in Braves country was so distraught when Freeman left that this is just right. an incredible turnaround. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's so funny. Well, the thing that, that's also funny about it to me is that like it's not like Freddie Freeman fell off the cliff. No. Right. He's, great. he's still he's still having a great year in, yeah. in LA. It's like it's like, do you want Freddie Freeman or do you want Matt Olson? Like, well, today we'll take Matt Olson because that's what we're getting. But if we had Freddie Freeman, like, there, we wouldn't complain about that either. You know, so that's right. Like, um, let's pull up Freddie Freeman's stats really quick. Five point three WAR. He uh, has twenty three home runs. Batting average is a whopping three thirty nine right now. He has 101 runs, 83 RBIs, stolen 16 bases because that is in his job description. Uh, OBP 417, slugging 588, OPS 1.005. I think, honestly, I think a lot of those stolen bases are on the back end of a double steal. Like, Probably. Because the he's, he's on first, the fast guy in second a lot, and the Dodgers run. So, yeah. I'd say he leads the league on the back end of a double steal. He leads the league in OPS and in doubles and in OPS plus, which is 167. So he's no slouch either. Anyway, just no. really interesting comparison between the two guys. I think it's fantastic. It is. Yeah. It just it's just crazy to me that you like as a fan, I'm sure you're just distraught losing the guy you're familiar with, Freddie Freeman, but then you bring in Matt Olson, it's like oh okay. how often does that happen not often well and what's interesting and it'll be interesting to see how the fans respond to this if you're a braves fan i want to know what you think after freddie freeman led the team to a world championship and everybody thought man if he comes back he's legitimately gonna get a statue out front right that's how big it was now if matt olson comes in and helps lead the team to a world series victory this year what are we talking about? You know what, though? I think I think if anybody's going to lead this team to a World Series on that team right now, though, it's going to be Acuna. Oh, I agree with that. Because that dude's going to win the MVP this year. Totally. He's going to lead the league in stolen bases and and be right up there in home runs, right? Absolutely. Probably win a gold glove. Like I would imagine. You know, so. I, th- I think if you're talking statue, uh, because of a World Series specifically this year, I think Acuna is the guy who gets it. Yeah. So no, I don't think Matt Olson's going to get a statue. He's only been there. Not, he's not been there long enough. But No, no, no. He'd have to be there the rest of his career. And when probably two. hit two, maybe three, and get two World Series MVPs. There you go. Yeah, even, no, then that he's not a, even then, he's not a homegrown guy, though, so I don't know if they'd do it. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. All right, Brad, cue the music. Cute. Uh, baseball family, we want to welcome you to the Ump Show. This is the part of the show where we tell you 
just some incredible stuff that goes on in the umpire world. <laughs> First and foremost, uh, Angel Hernandez is back. The angry angel is back behind the plate in the Yankees versus Marlins matchup in Miami. He missed 15 calls behind home plate. And uh, even the announcers got on the can't believe it wagon. They just really started ragging on him and chewing him up for it. Did you did you happen to catch any of this, Brad? I didn't see this one, but I assumed. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it's one of those things where you don't have to see it to know it's bad. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you have to know who's involved. You're like, yeah, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to verify. I believe you. So I went to umpire scorecards and I did a little bit of uh, research, as it were. Okay. And I love what those guys do. So umpire scorecards gave him an 89% overall accuracy and an 89% overall consistency. <laughs> That's the problem right there. That's yes. the problem. Uh, uh, look, your accuracy. Because I think, I think 88% accuracy is average, right? I mean, I think it needs to be higher. I think it if does need to be the, higher. That's a B plus, barely. Yeah, it's not acceptable. Uh, not at that level with that much money and that big a deal. Nope. But the consistency that, that really is a huge problem. Uh, and, and I don't know what else to say. <laughs> just I don't know baseball. how you hit with that. Honestly, I don't know how you step into the box and know what anything is going to be. No. And I, and the thing that drives me crazy is that is the people who always say like, well, that's too close to let go with two strikes. It's like, no, by rule, by definition, that pitch <laughs> was a ball. Yeah. And for some reason, that umpire decided to call it a strike because of what he saw and his belief and his opinion of what the strike zone is, even though it's established in this area. Right. That's the thing that makes me bonkers. Nearly 10% of called balls were actually strikes in this game. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Right. And 13% of called strikes were actually balls. <laughs> so figure that out, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm sure that there were pitches in the exact same. Like, I, I, can, I can understand, like, the difference between, like, a curveball hitting a spot and then a fastball hitting that one spot. Because especially at the top of the zone, if you get a, a curveball that drops into the top of the zone, they're going to assume that it probably dropped it above. But then you get a fastball in the same spot. It's like, that is clearly in the top of the zone, right? Right. But the thing that drives me crazy is when you see the exact same pitch hit the exact same location and it is not the exact same call that day. Right. You know? Yeah. Or even that <laughs> inning. Sometimes yes. same <laughs> same batter sometimes even like three pitches yeah, of them. Oh, that true. was a strike. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, baseball family, it gets better because Lou Williams had three calls overturned at first base between the Phillies and the Nats. He early came up too, from, early. Yeah. Yeah. He came up from triple A to fill in during Tuesday's doubleheader. In the second inning, Bryce Harper's foot was off the bag. He missed that call. It got overturned. In the third inning, Nick Castellanos was easily safe at first base on a throw from third. He got that wrong and had it overturned. And then again in the third inning, Castellanos like was a couple, called. A couple minutes later, maybe a few seconds yeah, later. Castellanos was called out on a pickoff attempt. Again, reviewed and overturned. So this dude <laughs> had a bad day called up from AAA to the bigs. Woof. 
like does he have something against Nick Castellanos? Because I watched that video <laughs> and you could see so clearly that he was safe on that throw to first. Even the even the guys on the broadcast are like, and he's what? <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that. You know, yeah, then that's they, awesome. over, they review and overturn it and unreal. It's absolutely unreal. And I I don't know this guy will be getting called up again anytime soon because three calls in one game is pretty bad. Pretty, bad. pretty and bad. I and this is the thing, like I understand nerves and everything, but yeah. Players aren't allowed the nerves really either, right? Exactly. They're expected to perform when they get up. So all right, that's Here's it for this show. week's ump show. Thanks for joining us. Let's move on. Your weekly Shohei Otani report is now here. He will miss his next start with arm fatigue. Probably back fatigue as well for carrying the team the whole season. Okay. Hey-o! Hey-o! <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be real. So I thought this was interesting. This is a <laughs> this is a classic Phil Nevin quote, especially here at the beginning. I can just yeah. hear him. I've told you guys many times he knows his body better than anybody. He said, I trust him when he talks about it. He assured me there's no pain, there's no injury. He's just got some regular arm fatigue that some go through at times. I trust him when he tells me this, and he'll be ready to go next time out. Um, So Phil Nevin seems a little irritated by this, but he also seems irritated by everything all the time. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's all that is. I don't know. Of course he is. He's. (laughs) Wouldn't you be? (laughs) He's running the Angels right now. (laughs) On a one-year contract. Both directions. Yeah, on a one. Yeah, exactly. Can you believe trying to work for that ownership group and having to support yourself with those players all at the same time? And the, no, no, that, of course, that dude's grumpy. Yeah. Grumpy before he is a manager, extra grumpy as a manager of the Angels specifically. Um, oh, but right. no, like, I wonder if Otani's like, I, I, I'm really curious because I don't feel like it's in his personality to do this, but I do feel like it's in just about every agent's personality to save your arm a little bit in this lost season, right? Totally. Yeah. I wonder if that might be some of what it is. Like, oh, my arm is just tired. That's a non-injury way to skip a start. For sure. Not a big deal. Yeah. So, well, I, and it, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to encourage shamming, especially right. from the, greatest player of all time yeah right however i don't blame him <laughs> oh, it's a business decision it is he's gonna try to go to a contender next year yeah and you want to be able to you want to be fresh you don't want to be going to the offseason have to take extra rest because you've overworked your arm because he's thrown i'm i haven't looked it up but i'm curious how many more innings he has already thrown like what he's on pace for this season compared to last year and the year before. Cause I, mm-hmm. I am certain it's more than what he's done yeah. the last two years. Yeah. I'm, I'm cause he's really certain. taken on a heavy load this year. Yeah. All right. A couple more things and then we'll jump to that interview. The, uh, the news that I thought was most interesting, kind of out of left field, a little bit of off season sizzle going on. Craig council is now rumored to be expected to step down as the brewers manager this off season. After this season, there are two reasons this speculation is starting to circulate. One, his kids are at the age where he is now missing their ball games due to his professional obligations. Now, that's a wonderful reason to maybe step down. We support that wholeheartedly. The other reason 
is business related. The rumor has it. So David Stearns is very likely to leave his position in Milwaukee and head to Queens to GM the Mets next season. That is interesting. Everybody, I heard that. everybody seems to be talking about it. It got leaked on some show. I forget where it got leaked. And uh, th- what they're saying is that he's going to get a bag of money from New York. So it sounds like what Steve Cohen might be doing is saying, okay, well, we didn't fix it at the player level. So maybe we can fix it a little higher up. And that's a reasonable consideration. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very interesting. So, David Stearns expected to, to earn a bag of money going to New York Mets this offseason. And he may be trying to slash able to persuade his current manager, Craig Council, to follow him. Council is the winningest manager in Milwaukee Brewers history. In the history of ever. Mm-hmm. And... He's been their manager since 2015. So either way, it would be a reasonable move given the timeline and tenure and his record. It would be, and especially especially if the Brewers don't make the playoffs this year or at least don't win their division, it would make sense for him to be like, it's time for me to move on, and the organization to be like, yep, we get it. Start fresh, yep. right? Yeah. Um, the Mets certainly don't seem like they're going to bring back Buck Showalter. And I wonder if they buy into some of that superstition about fire Buck Showalter win the World Series. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not like a real, real thing, but it, it was a thing there for a little bit. Or it was. The playoffs. So it was. I don't know. And I, I think he would be an excellent fit there. I think that would be a great spot for him. Totally agree. Let's talk about weekend sweeps. Um, The Nats swept the A's. The Dodgers swept the Rockies. Told you so. And the Brewers swept the White Sox. I think we told you so there, too. Any comments on that real fast, Brad? I'm surprised that the A's didn't even get one from the Nats. The Nats are playing well right now. I'll give them that. But even, like, it's tough to even sweep a team like the A's if if you've been as bad as uh, as the Nats have. Yeah. Brad, why don't you uh, pull up our fantasy stuff, and I'll tell everybody about Versus Game. Baseball family, we're always asking what you think and how you feel about some of the things that we bring to the table on the show. And now you have a quick and easy way, really easy, convenient way, to jump in on those conversations. We have partnered with Versus Game to bring you polls and trivia and the opportunity to make real dollar bills. That's right, actual money playing these games with us. All you got to do is download the app on your phone. Go to btpod.onverses.com on your mobile browser. You sign up and play with the polls and the trivia that we have posted. You can do it for free or you can do it by purchasing bundle packs and different things like that. It supports the show. It's a lot of fun. We have a couple of games up there right now. And uh, we encourage you to go. So it's at btpod.onverses.com dot com sign up and play on versus games with us right now brad hit us with and we'll go to break okay week 18 fantasy matchups i'm gonna start from the top this week because i'm there on my chart and guess what break i won 
Yeah, you did. Back in the wind column, baby. Yeah, I won are. this one 510 to 505. I'm the Yonkers batsman. I beat Grace under fire. That is Denise. That's incredible, by the way. Her top performer was Freddie Freeman with 89 points. And mine was Austin Riley with 61. <laughs> Balance attack coming at you from the Yonkers batsman. That's going on there. <laughs> I got lucky because uh, apparently Ozzy Albies left the game early on Sunday, and that's why yeah. I ended up winning by five points. <laughs> that's anyway, awesome. Burns Turner Overdrive. That's Tori. Uh, he is co-host with Jason of the Philly Baseball Together podcast. Went up against you, Brig, Brigger Mortis. Brig, you won 442 to 426. Your top performer was Will Smith of the Dodgers, yep. 76 points. Then Christian Walker was Tori's with 67 points. And then we have the big league, big league chupacabra. That's Jewel, my co-host on the Seattle Baseball Together podcast. And then uh, Jason, not another fantasy team. Jewel blew him out of the water. Seven forty-four right. to four oh five. Jewel's top performer was Tristan Casas with eighty-five points. Nathaniel Lowe was Jason's with seventy-four with seventy points. And then we have the bottom of the table here. We have the Harrisburg Charlies. That's John against our listener participant Mike, who is Devastation Incorporated. And Mike won this one 549 to 420. His Mike's top performer, are you ready? None other than Matt Olson with 116 points. And then John's was K Bear Ruiz with 76 points. So records, uh, real quick going down the table. Denise is 12 and 6. I'm 6 and 12. Tori is 7-11. Briggy, you are also 7-11. No luckier record in the league, by the way. Yeah. And then you've got Jason, who's 10 and 8. Um, Jewel is 15 and 3. Um John is one and seventeen, and Mike is fourteen and four. There is your week eighteen fantasy baseball matchup. Now we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna have an interview for you of, with the director and the who the story is about, the inspiration Subject. for the movie, The Hill. Welcome back, baseball family. We have a very special interview with Jeff, don't call me cilantro, Celentano, and Ricky Hill. <laughs> Jeff is the director of the movie The Hill, which is a movie about Ricky's life. We're so happy to have them here. Thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure of ours to be here, man. So before we get into anything about the movie, we're going to give them the same treatment we give all of our guests, which is a rundown. So Jeff, first question is coming your way. What is your quest? My quest in life? Your quest in general. My quest in general is to wake up every day feeling happy, healthy, and full of, full of energy and living life to the max. I've always been that guy. Um, no matter where I am, I wake up every day and say to myself, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to change my habits. And uh, if I drink coffee for a month straight, I the next month don't drink it. Or I try to aspire to that. It doesn't always work. But uh, so my quest is to really, you know, it's funny when you get older, like you're still 25 in your mind, but your body says, uh, uh, you know, and that's kind of kind of what's been happening to me. I, I'm I'm an avid surfer. I I get in the ocean a lot and surf and um, got to get my body uh, lined up for that every day. So instead of waking up and jumping in the water, I got to do a whole bunch of stretching, stuff like that. And um you know, my quest is to keep making movies till I'm till I'm dead. I love what I do. I think I was put on the earth to do it. I mean, it's I was an actor for many years and I loved it, but it wasn't my calling. And then when I started making movies, I realized that it was a lot better to make movies to take a whole year than as an actor. You have all this time in between all the jobs you don't get. 
And then you got to go to the dry cleaner, the bank, you wash your dog just to take up the time of the day. But as a director, you're on movies for a year or two. And I've been on the Hill for 16 years trying to get it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great thing. Take a while to get made, you know? That's right. That's right. Ricky, same question to you. What is your quest? Well, I'm a little different from him because I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a uh, producer or a director or anything like that. Mine is uh, keeping my faith intact, okay, and uh, serving uh, serving my God the way I'm supposed to. That's my quest in life. And then golf. Without, yeah, yeah, without having to kill somebody, you know, one of those deals. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, that's my quest, and uh, and then plus shoot uh, in golf, 66, 66, 66, and 66. <laughs> there you go. Good quest. That's yeah. great. All right, Jeff, what is your favorite color? Blue. Aqua mm-hmm. blue, actually, to be exact. That's I like the color. specificity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, goes with the ocean. Ricky, who's your favorite b- baseball team? Honestly, I don't have one. Ah, that's going to make this next question hard. Go to the next yeah. one then, Brick. Just go to the Okay. Next one. If baseball was an ice cream flavor, what would it be? Uh, dream Stickle. Ooh. That's, Ooh. Oh, that's, really good. that's a hot take. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jeff. Uh, if the Phillies, your favorite team, was a beverage, what would it be? Root beer. Mm. Yep. Instant. Good this point. reminds me of the uh, back there, you know, A and W root beer. You remember that? Oh, oh you yeah. Guys, you guys are only twelve. You don't remember that? <laughs> <laughs> my daughter. Yes. My daughter. My daughter is special needs, and she only eats about a handful of things. But one thing she loves more than anything is A and W root beer. Well, I'll tell her that she has a fan here. Yeah. I'll let her know. <laughs> okay, Ricky, last question for you. What is one unpopular baseball opinion that you have? One unpopular? Mm-hmm. It's uh, too political. Mm-hmm. To, um, it's totally, um, it's been this way since even the 70s. Um, everything is uh, bought. It's not um, uh, they just want to let the game be free and play the game the way it's supposed to. That's my uh, that's been my beef since uh, day one. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I worked I worked I worked with the Association of Professional Baseball Players, and um, this might sound kind of rough, but we wanted a limited amount of uh, foreigners playing in our in the United States. And, um, that was a beef. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. How long ago was that? Uh, 75. Mm-hmm. When, okay. when we first started. Oh, I, thought, and, I thought you were going to say it was back when that guy carved those commandments in the stone and the other guy invented that round wheel. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's, that's exactly, exactly what I was thinking because I was thinking of Jeff at the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'll think of Jeff and his uh, all his rocks that he used to throw. But they were big, huge boulders. Him pushing them, 
pushing them along was Pharaoh uh, when they were trying to cross the Red River. Um, I don't mean to veer off, but I just want you guys to know that Ricky hit 2,000 rocks a day with a stick. Every day he was so bored and poor. And, and when he was eight, that's what he did. That's why he's getting me back now because I did not hit 2,000 rocks a day. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Sure if I did that. Well, the problem was is he couldn't even hit one because he'd miss it. That's true. That's true. I would. I would. I'm, I'm terrible. No, I was an athlete my whole life. Come on. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't hit. He couldn't hit. He couldn't hit water if he jumped off the ship. Oh! It's <laughs> oh. a shot fired. Well, they're flying now. Rick, Rick, did you lose some weight? It's like throwing a chair off the Titanic. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you brought up the 2000 rocks because that is something that got depicted very well in the film, right? The boredom was very palpable. The uh, Not that the film was boring, but that the, the depiction of the boredom was very real and apparent, I think, as viewers. Uh, and it sounds like that was a really important part of, of Ricky's story and his upbringing. Would you say that's, was that super deliberate? I'm assuming it was. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean I, I lived. I lived in the, I lived in, uh, I had to have places where there was rocks uh, because that's all I did all day long. It, it was free. And uh, uh, so I just, I dove into rocks, hitting them all day long with a stick. Yeah. He had a, he had like a natural talent anyway. And then of course you combine that with all that time he spent on the railroad tracks, hitting the little stones, his eye hand coordination is unbelievable. Like that's why he's such a, like a scratch golfer. Yeah, it's just anything you put in his hand with a stick and a rock or a ball or an object, he's just going to be able. To, he can aim it, um, and um, I validated all this. I mean, this is all real. Even Dennis Quaid said, "What Ricky did in this movie, I can't even believe this story has never been told, and that it's real." Like, who the heck does that? Like, I, 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 I said, I have all the documentation, and then when he met Ricky. When Dennis met him and had dinner with him, he was blown away at the story. Ricky gets very passionate when he talks about the story and um, just tells you what he went through. I mean, it's such an inspirational movie uh, for everybody because I think that everybody can relate to wanting something so bad you can taste it and you have all the talent in the world, but you can't get there. It's kind of like this movie. Um, I was just talking to somebody today about it. They said, Jeff, this movie's so good. Every time I go, I cry six times, like seven times, I get emotional, I come out, I'm so excited when I come out, I'm so inspired, your, your movie's gonna do great. And I said, you know, I love this movie and I think this movie, once it catches on, is the perfect movie for everybody. Um, but today there's so much out there, we gotta push through all the muck to get noticed because you could have the best movie in the world and unless people see it, they don't know, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I get that strange friend of mine who'll call me from like Philly, you know, funny enough. And he'll call me and he'll say, Hey, he's a pretty prolific guy. You know, he's a writer, screenwriter. And he'll say, Hey, um, when's your movie? What's going on with your movie? I said, what? you haven't seen all the press, you know, oh. there's, that, there's that one guy. Cause we have a lot of press and Briarcliff's killing it out there. And we have a lot of great stuff going on like you guys, but never everybody's going to ever get, you know, get the message. And so I just yeah. want that message to get spread across the country because it's really, a, I set out to make a period classic film like the old ones that we love, like Field of Dreams. And 
And I've had a couple of people in the test screening come up to me, an old man with tears in his eyes. And he said, you, you moved me, sir. I have not seen a movie like this in Field of Dreams. So wow, you know, Ricky, Ricky's life, you know, what he went through, we, we depicted the, the, you know, how poor they were. I mean, they ate cornbread and drank milk. That's what mm-hmm. they ate for dinner. And the yeah. dad made 50 no, I, bucks, no, a, not, 50 bucks a month. Yeah, that's not all necessarily true. I also ate Alpo uh, out of dog food can uh, several times. He actually so, did, funny enough. That's not, that's the honest truth. I had to eat dog food. Yeah. That's why his bark is a little louder than normal. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That, that, that's why that uh, when I get around and anybody want to fist fight me, they get chewed up. <laughs> Ricky, I have a question so about that specifically. The film okay. shows a lot of thematically, there's a lot of dialogue around gifts and opportunities and and chances, and then life sort of taking those away from you, right? Stripping them from your the grip that you've held them in so tightly. Um I have personal experience with that in my life. I'm, I'm also have spinal fusion. I heard that you, you do as well. And with the rods and the cages in, in our back, it's how have you dealt with that as a person, those opportunities, things just keep keeping getting taken away from you. And yet you continue to press forward and fight and achieve and reach. How do you do that, man? You know, uh, it's funny. It's funny because, uh, the other day, they uh, I've had people ask me, you know, I've gone through two, through a couple, two windshields going 80 miles an hour. It didn't even knock me out. Um, I've gone through so much uh, surgeries that too much, too many to even count. I mean, I quit, I quit actually counting them in, in the 30s. And, uh, but yeah, I just uh, continue uh, going on because uh, I've had pain more than I've had relief, so I just got used to the pain. So that's that's my next film. I got to get used to the pain, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes, really, uh, I, sometimes I call him and he's laying on his back in his house on the floor when it's raining. I'll say, "What's going on, Ricky? All right?" He said, "No, I'm laying on my floor all spread out because I can't get up. It is so painful." And, um, and then he'll, you know, he'll, the next week I see him, he looks like he'd run the marathon. It's the strangest thing. He's just yeah, got it's just, metabolism or something. Yeah. The, the humidity gets me, if anything, uh, rain gets me. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I'm good, but I'm, Hey, honestly, be up, be up front with you. Um, I've been, I've been doing very well. I've been taking this product that's out of this world. And to right to today, I have no inflammation in my body whatsoever, which is wow. almost, almost basically impossible at my age. That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations. When, I was really curious just because Dennis Quaid is like, was like, he was the rookie, right? like one of the one of the other big baseball movies i'm curious if he was always the guy to play ricky's dad or if it was kind of like he went through a list of names and then he was and then he kind of popped out and and then i guess it probably agreed to you don't he's not somebody you audition right no 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 (laughs) dennis was definitely um on the top of the list he would there was there's always a list 
Yeah. But when I look at the list in a, in a, in a grouping, when the casting director gives it to you, you, or you put your own list together, you guys sit and talk about all the qualities of James Hill, not only that who he was, but also who you, who you want to, how you want to portray him. And there was nobody that had, obviously Costner and Dennis have fought over sports movies. They're all not fought, but they battled uh, who's going to play what. And Costner's great, but Dennis had an unbelievable uh, quality that I felt was like a, a complete circle of a perfect man. He's like this tough guy. He can be a cowboy and strong and scary, but he can also be the warmest, fuzziest, sweet, lovable teddy bear. And I needed that in the movie. I needed a guy that everybody can relate to. Um, matter of fact, it's funny you brought that up. Dennis was number one choice for this part um, after we sat, sat and talked about it. Absolutely. Hands down. But every other role had the similar kind of thing that Dennis had. I wanted everybody to be, especially little Ricky, I wanted him to have unconditional love like a dog. Like you kick him and it just comes back and licks you. That's how little Ricky was, Ricky, when he was young. You know, he was so innocent and, you know, he'd fall down and get hit or get bullied. He'd stand back up and he'd fight through it and then he'd smile at you. And so I think that if you saw the film, every cast member to me was perfectly cast. And that's not because I directed the movie. I mean, I've made a lot of movies and you'll never hear me say, I say, I like my cast, great cast, but you're never going to hear me say what I'm saying now which is every single person fit the part to the T and they all had a certain quality that I think every person can relate to in some way. Like when a family goes to see this movie, I'm sure people go, I know those people, they live next door to me, you know, yeah. um, relate to each person or, or I had a dad like that. And, you know, I wanted the dad to be tough, but super understanding. And I wanted the audience to relate to him that he cares about his son. He's not, he's not being a tough father just because he's, He's an egomaniac. He's the opposite. He he was uh, very in love with being a pastor and wanted to carry that on to his son. And when he saw his son wanted to play baseball, he said, no, it's, you're going to get bullied and ridiculed and, and uh, possibly in a wheelchair the rest of your life if you try to play this game. I mean, everybody told him he couldn't play. The doctors, the, mm -hmm. his friends, everybody. And there were certain people that believed in him and believed in his will and pushed him, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Dennis really portrayed the father. He, he one of the best performances I've ever seen. He told me it's one of the best roles he's had ever, um, yeah. because it was a lot of it was a lot of complex guy for him. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things for him to play. As he, as, I'll quote Dennis: "There's a lot of meat on the bone in this one for me." <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I I think you're right though. The casting was perfect. Sometimes you'll see a movie and you're like, I get it, but I don't like buy that person in that role. Right. But right. everybody had me completely bought in on all of them it was fantastic Everybody yeah you just said the two words bought in meaning meaning that like i i rarely see any movie where i get absorbed into the movie and i kind of don't know where i am but i've seen the hill a thousand times and every time i watch it i kind of forget i'm watching it because i get so involved in the people yeah. that was a that was a sheer luck that that chemist chemistry is everything and that chemistry just clicked with everybody like the three little kids they were like best friends through the whole movie shoot. And then they leave and we bring in the next group of three kids that are older and they got along the whole time, like perfectly, like they were best friends. So they created a family. And if you look at Dennis and Joelle Carter and grandma and all the kids in, 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 in the family, never for a second do you think they're not a family. Like they look like 
They're, and, and, and then, of course, what really gets me in movies is the, 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 when the kids grow up, you know, you, you have this little boy and girl and, and brother that you got to fall in love with for four, 50 pages. And then yeah. 50 pages more, you give them somebody else, they get pissed. They're like, yeah. the families, <laughs> people that are watching the movie, the audience is like, he just took away that kid I fell in love with. And now you give me another kid. I better fall in love with him. And you do. Colin, to me, looks, all the kids look just like the younger versions of themselves. That was important to me. Well, yeah. Well, Colin, Colin's so good looking that he just fit the role perfect for me. Oh, that, that's. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, don't ask me what I think of that question. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, hey, Ricky. Ask, yeah. Ricky, next question for you is that the the sheer pressure of that tryout. I think what came through really well in the film, obviously that's kind of the pinnacle moment, but immediately following that, can you take us a little bit further past the narrative of the film and just tell us kind of how it, how it went afterward? Like through yeah, it, once you got in the minor leagues and everything. Yeah, I can. Um, first of all, I knew that I had a limited amount of time. Very limited because of uh, they already let me know that my, my spine at 17 years old i really knew it at 14 they let me know that um that i um that my discs were just crumbling and um they even told me when i was i think i was uh i was 17 that i had the disc of a 75 year old man at one time um but I accepted it and went ahead and went along with it. And it, it, it was something that I said, you know what? It doesn't matter what I have. I'm playing. Uh, I'm, I, I think I told Jeff this too, that I'm playing and until I retire goes flat. And, uh, yeah, I played, I played what people didn't understand what I did was I actually played five seasons and, uh, but I played year round. I played winter ball every year somewhere, whether it be Mexico, whether it be Venezuela, um, uh, or uh, I played one 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 uh, winter ball in Italy, and then I played. Um, but I played year round. People don't even realize that. And what you know that kind of double. That's like playing a double season, and. Yeah. Uh, because I, I I was limited amount of time of how much time that I had to make it to the big leagues, and uh, uh, in, in 1978 uh, I got on a roll because I was designated hitter that year 78. Uh, I never let anyone know about my spine. I did some things that you shouldn't be doing just to play ball, but. Uh, putting yourself at risk of being paralyzed and uh uh but uh I, in 78 my grand total home runs that year at 488 at bats i hit 51 home runs and uh that's an awfully big year to a huge year have going, yeah to go in to go into your next year not knowing you know if you you know if you can even walk right you know it's just when your disc had crumbled down to nothing um i went to spring training the following year and the san diego padres was taking me up to the big leagues and uh 
I collapsed diving into second base. I had no legs for, um, I didn't walk. I was in traction in the hospital for three months. Because back then, guys, they didn't have anything to uh, hardly do for you, especially when you have no discs, um, none. And everything I've got inside of my body right now is giving me life again because of uh, technology. And uh, these screws that I have in my spine, you know, I have nine of them, and, uh, and I have six cages, and I have a rod that holds me all together. And so back then I couldn't even think about ever, you know, coming back, making a comeback. I, I knew when it was over, but I knew the day was coming. They let me know. And uh, because uh, after that big night that we had down at, at that big night that you saw, I got offered 47 scholarships. And before nobody, nobody even wanted me before because they didn't want me because of when I snapped my ankle half in two, it was like Achilles tendon. So therefore, they thought my whole baseball career was over. But I'm a fighter, man. I came back. I came back and uh, and uh, I started getting bigger and larger. I, I wound up weighing 239 and uh, I was six one and a half and. Uh, and then I became a power hit, a very strong power hitter. And each year that I got just a little older, I was just getting more power, even though my spine hurt me every time I swung it. It didn't matter. I'm swinging it. I'm swinging for the fence for the fence every every time I got up to bat. That's beautiful. You have to pardon my emotional response. I, I'm a. I, I understand what you're saying, and it's wonderful. You do understand, don't you? I know. I know you do. Um, yeah. It's a it's a, a feeling that you know that you li- have a limited amount of time. Think about it. So, I'm not going to go to college because that's going to be a waste of four years for me to go college when I'm got offered a baseball professional contract right out of the gate from this big, huge camp that I was the only one out of 700 ball players that wind up, wind up signing a contract with, with a, you know, with the MLB team. And I'm the only one period that, which was very fortunate. I mean, this story goes on and on and on, man. I'm telling you, I, it, we, we could do, we could do a, um, probably 10 years of a series on this thing. They should. Jeff, let's get on that. All right. No, <laughs> uh, you know, Ricky, uh, Andre Dawson was Ricky's roommate back in the day. And uh, they did all, they traveled all those games together. They were super close. And you know who he is, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He yeah, tells great stories about Andre Dawson and him. There, there were so many moments of Ricky's life that we wanted in the movie. Just in, interesting things that happened to him. There were so many that we couldn't in the movie be four hours. So it was, it was hard to kind of take those little babies away and you know send them off somewhere else. But we, we ended up making the movie 
um, the way, you know, the best we could with the story that I felt really compacted what happened, you know. The movie's two hours long, so it's, it seems fast when people watch it. They go, I had no idea it was two hours. It felt like an hour and a half, but, um, you know, I had an incredible editor. We had an incredible crew. I mean, my producer, Warren Ostergaard, killed it. I mean, he, he and I went through the, we were in the war together. We went through the trenches, you know, we were in the trenches. Um, he worked tirelessly on this movie from the day he met me. And he's, he's been trying to deliver this movie for a year and a half, almost two years now. And we were, we were paid two years ago. I mean, we, we still love the movie. We'll never give up. You know, we're like Ricky. As I told Ricky, when he met me, I said, he said, I was, the, I walked up to Red Murph and I said, I'm the best hitter you're ever going to see. And that rang true to me inside. And I walked up to Ricky when I met him. I shook his hand. I said, I'm the best hitter you're ever going to see. That's why you need yeah. me. That's and awesome. there were a lot of bigger directors with bigger careers trying to get this movie away from me. But everybody around me just kept me, you know, Ricky included, just kept me in, in their sights and said, no, we're not going to make this movie without Jeff. His, his heart is full of this movie. You know, and it's, it's always been. This is not even a movie to me. This is like a this is like a lifelong journey for me that I don't think I'll ever have again, no matter what I make. This is a special movie. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I got I got to brag on him. I got to brag on him because I always do. Uh, not that I want to trust me, but I am. Um, he uh, when he came to me um, after I spent uh, one hour with him. Uh, and then the next day I spent time with him again. Uh, I knew he was the one. And I just I just interviewed over 40-something directors. Uh, but I knew he was the one. He had this, uh, he had this heart that, like mine, it's, uh, it beats. And it beats so hard that, it believes it believes in winning and i knew i could see it and I, i'd already been through so much crap through all these all these directors out there that you know are full of whale manure and uh so um but when i met jeff i knew without a doubt he was the one and you know what once again i'm right <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. I had we could. I had to say. I had to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. The best compliment I've ever gotten. An underhanded compliment. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I have I one more question. I try to tell everybody I'm right all the time. I'm right all the time. But yeah. for some reason they don't believe me. But I'm telling you, I'm right. I was right again. <laughs> and, uh, and look what he uh, did. He he uh, puts his he puts his whole team together which is absolutely miraculous. And, uh, and I'm sitting there going through my mind going, I cannot believe what all he's put together. And uh, he worked so hard at it. Uh, like I said, uh, I hate to say this to him, but you know, I was right again, you know? Uh, but yeah, he was, um, he was it. He was, he was, as, as today we'd say, man, he was a dope. He was it. <laughs> so i have one more question for you before we get out of here i don't know if Brig has one more as well but i'm curious you talked about how there was i mean it could have been a four-hour movie was there one scene 
uh, like a deleted scene that you wished could have stayed in the movie, but just had to go just for time constraint? Yeah, there's a tiny, tiny little scene. Tiny. Um, it's where little Ricky and um, his sister are sitting in the bedroom and he has a sock full of change and he dumps it out on the table. It's so cute. And he says, uh, she says, where'd you get all that money? He says, I've been saving it. You know, I, I, I jumped down into the, into the ditch on the street and I pick up every penny. And she says, he, she says, that's disgusting. And he says, yeah, there's a lot of rats down there too, but it don't matter. You know, and that's kind of the scene. And he said, I'm saving this for daddy because I want to buy him a hamburger and a Coke for Christmas. And that scene breaks my heart. It's so sweet. But, you know, time-wise, and, and we had it didn't fit where it was. We moved it around, and it never really fit. They go right from there to that 50s diner you saw, and they buy the burger. Um, that, that burger scene broke my heart. When I read that, I cried my eyes out. And yeah. the scene itself really, really was something. And um, so I had to take it out. It was hard for me because it was so sweet. Um, right after that scene, the coach comes to the door and it gets real for stuff. Stuff gets real for the family, as you know, it does. And, yeah. um, and so that scene just didn't fit there. It was, uh, I had to lose it. It was sad. Um, you know, you can't keep all the children in the movie. You want to keep your babies, but you got to send them off to another movie, you know? And so yeah. that'll probably be in the outtakes. Uh, there's a couple other little moments, you know? um earl you know earl was uh he's a little moment outside the church after he kind of takes dennis on and he's going to kind of go at dennis there but we felt it was overkill because the next scene you know he picks him up at the at the bar where he's yeah. coming out and gives him a ride home so which is a great depiction of the dynamics of the family and, and of his dad and everything with you know like i'm willing to whoop you if i have to but i'm still going to put my arm around you at the same time and I think that speaks to who Ricky is and his character. And I'm glad that came through in the film. Well, you know, it's funny. That seems very funny. Uh, Dennis said, I'm not hitting the guy. I said, no, <laughs> I'm going to look like a wimp. I said, I'm going to make you look like a hero. You are yeah. not look like a wimp. And if you watch the scene, he never touches the guy except to push him away. Yeah. You know, the guy, he pushes him out of the way on the one scene, part of the scene. And then the other one, the guy swings Dennis ducks and pushes him down. He never touches the guy with a fist or, uh, open hand or anything so that was important to me because i felt that pastor hill uh, had enough sense to know how to fight he's a tough man ricky's dad was a tough man but he also knew that this guy was drunk and he just wanted to give him a ride home he didn't want to he didn't want to beat him up so we i think we covered that pretty well um there's little subtle moments like that like the scene where he takes his son out back oh that's my favorite scene of the whole that was film a great scene. well well, let me tell you, that was a lot of struggle to figure that one out. And I'll tell you a two-second story. It's brilliant. There was a line at the end of that scene that Dennis was supposed to say. He says to the kid, just go on in. The, the, the punishment's already happened or something. And Dennis said, why do I have to say that line? I said, because I took me about six months to figure that line out. We had to come up with the perfect line. We had to come up with the perfect line that covered what you're feeling. He goes, why can't I just feel it? I said, the audience won't get it. He said, oh, okay, all right, I'll do it. And then he, he did the scene, and I'm watching the scene, and he gets to that last moment where he's making a decision what to do, when he's about to, you know, punish his son. 
and Dennis just lost it. He started crying and he broke down. And I was, I was crying and the crew, I looked like some grips had tears in their eyes. And I said, what is going on? And I walked over, I cut and I walked over to Dennis. I put my arm around him. I said, that was beautiful. Where did that come from? And he goes, that my dad just came into my soul right then. And I just remembered everything that ever happened to me as a kid with him. And this brought back all those memories. And then he looked at me and he smiled and he said, you still need the line? <laughs> and I said, obviously not. I think yeah, you crushed yeah, yeah. it, by the way. Okay, <laughs> so so kudos to, to Dennis in that story. But you're not giving yourself enough credit for lining the shot up perfectly so that we look over the boy's shoulder into dad's eyes and we get to see the pain juxtaposed between both characters at the same moment and deal with all of that emotion in about this big a box. So wow. you deserve a lot of credit there as well, okay? Thank you, man. That had nothing to do with time. We had no time. We had one shot. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, that, was, a lot of, that was a lot of work to figure that one out. And to, and to, and to have, and, and I thank you for saying that because to have enough guts in an emotional scene like that, not to push the camera up on an actor's face to make sure you get in their face. That was hard for me. Um, that was a real emotional scene in the movie, a big pivotal scene for Dennis's character and the son. And I didn't want to be off of them. I wanted to be on their faces like this close, but it didn't work. It feel right. And we, I said, let's do it like this. And then everybody on sets like, are you sure? Like, you know, my DP is like, you sure you want to do it? Like, I, and he, he actually helped me design it. And the DP, you know, um, Chris Kimlin really was good at, at designing that shot too. So I give him That's credit. That's great. That's great. Okay. I do have one last question and then we can wrap her up for us. Uh, Ricky, I've heard a lot of people talk about when they make a biopic that the, the person depicted in the film has to sort of edit their life a little bit. And that can be a little bit of a emotional and maybe painful experience. Is there, can, can you speak to that at all? Was this difficult for you to look at pieces of your life and say, no, that doesn't necessarily flow well enough for what we're trying to achieve here or anything like that? You know, I've never been asked that question. I've been asked, asked it. 10,000 questions. I've never been asked that question. Um, as far as editing, editing my life, um, the only thing that I would say, period, in this, in this film, what really, like the story that Jeff just got through telling about, about what my father did, and he did not, um, he didn't give my brother the whipping. I didn't even know that that was, they even wrote that in the movie. I didn't know that they even put that in the script. I'll be up front with you. I didn't even know it. But when I got to see it, it really floored me in a way. I got to I got to go back to this just a second. It floored me in a way because that's exactly how my dad handled it. Exactly. To a T. And I never have, I never did bring that up. And that was, you know, a very touching moment. Um, the only other thing as far as editing anything is, is, I would like to say this to you guys so you know whether you're aired or whether you don't, that when I did go up to Red Murph, 
I had to jump over a 10-foot wall to get on the ball field. And I had to go to him because I'd already been cut off the there's, you know, there's one big, huge finale game, and that game, it, you know, out of 700 players, you think about it a minute, there only is eight players that's playing in the game, eight players on each side, because you've got uh, one pitcher. And then um, for him to give me the opportunity they gave me, but when I walked up to Red Murph, I walked up to Red Murph, and I kind of want, want you guys to really know this, that um, I had tapped him on the shoulder and he was talking to eight or nine scouts and he's standing on top of the rubber of the pitcher's mound. And you can imagine this just in your mind. This is a man that signed Nolan Ryan. This is the king of all the kings in scouting world of putting ball players on the field. And I walked up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and looked at me and he said, you know where you're standing? Well, he's six foot six and when he's on the mound, now he's 10 feet tall. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, think about that a minute. You're talking about intimidation. Uh, That's intimidation. And so I said, no, sir, I don't. He goes, you're standing on the hill. Now, isn't that interesting? Huh. Think about that a minute. Standing on the hill. And so I said to him, I said to Red, I said, Red, um, my name's Ricky Hill. And I just wanted to let you know before I leave this camp that it's a shame you're never going to get to see the best hitter in this camp. And he just when he said, you know, uh, if your bat is in tune with your tongue, this, by the way, this made Sports Illustrated. Um, he said, if your bat is in tune with your tongue, you're a hell of a hitter. He said, so you honestly believe, you think that you're, you think that you're the best hitter here? And I said, no, sir, I don't. I know I am. Well, that just really got it. I mean, it really did. That just got us big time. And that's what made this whole thing get started. That we, that this, even this movie wouldn't even be coming out today had that not happened. And, and all the other scouts behind him were nasty things that get me off the field, you know, get me off the field and that I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this shot. And Red Merce said, just shut up. And uh, he looked at me and he said, some reason I am believing you are telling me the truth. He said, so tonight, he goes, where's your uniform? I said, you're looking at it. My, I was so poor. Seriously, guys, you have no idea. I didn't have, I was down there wearing polyester shorts. Uh, during the deal, and it was just very embarrassing. And you still so, wear those uh, today. You still wear those today, Rick, the red ones. I like yeah, I do, I do, I do. I wear those. <laughs> and then I hand out my hand it over to you. I give them back to you. So anyway, but saying that, I, I'd, uh, he said, get him a uniform and get him ready for tonight's game. 
And that gave me the chance. That was at 2.30 in the afternoon because the big game that night started at 7.30. I called my, my father home and I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. When he said, he looked at me and he said, you're going to designate hit for both teams tonight. And I got to thinking about that a minute. You're talking about a big chore. That's uh, some heavy lifting. Yeah. And and we're going to play probably 10 innings. And uh, the whole whole town's coming out. C&M's right next door. This is their uh, junior college for C&M. And they're right next door. And the whole everybody's coming out to watch this big, huge game big tryout game and the next thing you know here i am not is not deserve to be there but not not deserving to be there give me a chance him giving me a chance like this was remarkable and then taking advantage of it and having uh having uh i'll just tell you i had a partner with me that night how's that sound okay yeah and uh and that night, I just, I just ripped every, everything that they threw at me. I just ripped it, and uh, it was just an amazing, amazing night. I called it a big night. Uh, and to be honest with you, a while ago you asked what happened beyond the story. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened that night, and it's going to be neat to hear for you to hear this. I had four cents in my pocket left to get home. The church and everybody had already gone. They already left. And I, I didn't have any gas to make it home. It was on dead empty. And um, I went over there and just parked in the car, put my feet out the window, just looked up and thanked God for for this beautiful night. Because this was a night that no one could forget. I mean, the... the uh, Scouts, the college scouts, couldn't believe it. Heck, I couldn't even believe it. Uh, but um, saying that, uh, I woke up the next morning and uh, said, well, you know what, God? I, uh, how in the world am I going to get home? I got no gas money. I got no gas. And I didn't tell you guys this. I'm also an arm wrestler. And uh, I saw these three got three Strider guys over there, arm wrestling that was left over from, you know, from the uh, big camp because those ball players still everywhere hanging out. And I went over there and our arm wrestling them made fifteen quick bucks. I had gas money <laughs> to get home. <laughs> I love it. That's a perfect way to wrap it up, guys. That's amazing. <laughs> I thought I heard every story, but this is a new one. That's so funny. well gents we we gotta be we gotta be getting going but we appreciate you so much taking the time to be here with us the film comes out august 25th is that correct yes sir august 25th i think tickets going to sale the next week or two okay all right well we'll get it out here i think we're going to air this before like the 15th is what we've decided so um they'll give everybody a chance to to put it in their on their to-do list to go out and see the hill the story of Ricky Hill, he's here with us. And Jeff, the director, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. What a wonderful opportunity. And thank you, my team of Emma and everybody else who's on here, hanging on, listening to these stories. I love it. 
Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank yeah. you guys. All right, baseball family, we'll be right back and then we will uh, wrap it up with you. All right, baseball family, we're really, really excited to bring you that interview. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Don't forget to go out and check out, go out and check out. Yep, I said that. The Hill, it'll be in theaters coming up in just 10 days. So go out and check it out. That's my new phrase. <laughs> the twenty oh, fifth. Have... For those of you who don't math well, by the way, yeah, August twenty yeah, fifth, yeah, yeah. it'll be in theaters. <laughs> Go that's watch right. Well, that's ten days. It's ten days from today. Anyway, it'll be out oh, the twenty fifth, right. like we said. Anyway, uh, Brad, tell them about uh, Chinook. I sure will. Head over to ChinookCedary.com and you will find the best seeds ever. And I'm not just saying that. That's what they say on the packaging, actually, and they ain't lying. Uh, so you can go get yourself some seeds and save 10% on your order by using code BTPOD at checkout on ChinookCedary.com. Again, BTPOD at checkout to save 10%. That will support your mouth, support the show, and also support your pocket by saving some money. But baseball family, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you can, especially on the YouTube machine, because we have some goals that we're trying to reach on the machine there, and uh, that will help us a lot, help us get there. But baseball family, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that. And joining us, we hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did, and we will catch you on Friday night. Mm-hmm.